Texting. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my first story is science news. This is from the New York Times. One of the world's longest running experiments sends up sprouts. It's a super long experiment. Plants? Plants. Okay. (laughs) Okay, just just clarifying. Not some, yeah, that's not a euphemism for something. Wait, I don't know what else actually that would mean. What am I saying? Okay, please continue. (laughs) Uh, After lying dormant in buried bottles for 142 years, 11 seeds germinated on the Michigan State University campus after scientists planted them. So... These are like some old seeds that were buried underground in bottles for some reason. <laughs> and then they they planted them and they sprouted, which was kind of unexpected, I guess. I Yeah. Do seeds last that long? Like, I didn't I think guess they did. So. I guess they do. I uh. guess by virtue of this very experiment, they do. Yeah. Uh, Dr. David Lowry, an associate professor of botany at Michigan State University, had been observing a growth chamber containing the seeds for days before he finally saw a sprout on April 23rd. Uh, apparently back in 1879, the botanist William James Beale collected thousands of seeds from different plants in and around East Lansing, Michigan, then buried them on the MSU campus and in a secret location, they said, which <laughs> is apparently not such a well-kept secret. Yeah. Um, with the goal of learning whether they'd still grow after years, decades, or even centuries of dormancy. So I guess props to Mr. Beale for the foresight to like start this experiment, because mm-hmm. <laughs> you need the time. Uh, in mid-April, Dr. Lowry and four of his colleagues dug one of the bottles up and planted its contents, continuing one of the longest-running experiments in the world. Uh, apparently, they dig up one of these bottles every 20 years, like since they were first buried. Oh, so this is... That's know, kind of fun. Seventh time they've done it, I guess. Um, wait, no, that can't be... They said, be they wary said later, of mental math <laughs> while we're recording. That'll be seven times, I think. But that says they've done nine... Bo- anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> apparently they have enough bottles to last until 2100 which oh, I don't cool. know the proper way to say that year yet because it hasn't happened and we haven't had to have that existential debate, but 2100. Yeah. Um, it's not like 2100. That sounds wrong. Yeah. Um, through late April and early May, more seedlings peaked above the soil, uh, a total of 11 as of Tuesday. One is a bit of a mystery with leaves that are heavier and sharper edged than those of the other sprouts. Um, so one of the plants is different than the others. And it's hairy, apparently. <laughs> hairy, maybe they mean like fuzzy. Like hairy, yeah, hairy that's is probably a what weird, they mean. Weird way to describe. <laughs> they mean they like the like plant fuzz, probably, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the rest are most likely a plant known or not known as its scientific name is uh, Verbascum blateria, a tall flowering herb. Uh, uh, v. blateria first showed up in the ninth bottle that was ever dug up, which is why I was confused because. Every 20 years, 140 years would mean seven bottles, but they said this is the ninth bottle, but this isn't the ninth bottle. This one. 
I don't know. I don't know. It's fine. Um, <laughs> since uh, since uh, the ninth bottle, this particular plan has been quite successful. Out of the 50 Bloteria seeds originally placed in each bottle, 31 of them germinated after 50 years, uh, 34 after 60 years, and so on. So now it sounds like it's every 10 years. So they lied to me somewhere. Um, <laughs> there are lies in, in this uh, article. <laughs> <laughs> in 2000 when the previous bottle was dug up and tested see that was 20 years ago yeah so, so like what is what's happening? the deal what is ha- maybe they changed the frequency yeah anthony maybe they started doing they're like oh no years, we're gonna years, run out years, of bottles. and they're like no let's just do it every 20 instead yeah. and that's how they have nine now i guess they just they must have changed the rate in the changed. middle of the yeah. experiment yes. has to be i can only imagine. I wish they would have told me that. Uh, <laughs> so in 2000, when the previous bottle was dug up and tested, nearly half of the Blateria seeds uh, grew successfully. Um, and it will take time for the team to definitively determine exactly what has sprouted and to conclude uh, that the other seeds aren't viable. There's apparently some stuff they can do to them to like induce germination for some of them, like temperature oh. changes and that kind of thing. But um, as of right now, it's just the 11 that have that have sprouted. Um, also fun fact, I spotted a typo in this New York times article, which you would think they would have a pretty high standard for that (laughs) or would at least catch every typo Um, that would be flagged in Microsoft word. There seems to be multiple issues with this article. So whoever they spelled successfully wrong, which is kind of ironic because it means they were unsuccessful in spelling successfully, but it's fine. New York I, Times. I corrected it in my You got to up your game. You got to up your game, New York Times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're never going to be the best paper in the world. Wait. <laughs> Wait a minute. Um, um, but anyway, I so thought that was. It looks cool. like there is a decline over time in the likelihood of it sprouting based on the numbers that you read. Like it was like the yes. first time they did it, a lot of them did, and then it keeps being less and less every time. Right. Did I understand that right? That's, I think that's what you said. So it sounded, yeah, like. Of the fifty, it was thirty-one. Well, then it was it was thirty-one, then thirty-four, but then only like half the last time. So yeah, and now it's eleven. So far. Oh, okay. Well, technically ten because the one is that plant. They're like, we don't know. It's it's hairy. <laughs> oh, they're like, we don't know what this is. <laughs> we have no idea what this is right now. But There's a think, stowaway in here. Also, you think botanists would be able to tell? I don't unless it's like some plant that doesn't exist anymore. But that seems unlikely. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not true i don't know there's so many questions this has brought up a lot of questions (laughs) more questions than answers in this article a lot of questions but uh um for example is botany something you can major in in college i think so there's four years worth of classes it's a lot of of botany I'm, I'm just asking because yeah, freshman year you take year. you take plants one through one hundred, <laughs> and you—that's the first one hundred plants you learn about all those. Oh, okay. Then sophomore year it's one hundred and one through two hundred. Two hundred. Okay. And so you learn about four hundred plants, and that's not even all of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I can see that. I can see that. Okay. I actually don't know if it's a. I, I think it's probably no, a major either. in certain places, but the reason maybe I'm asking, it's just a specialty. I don't know. It was because you said some, one of the, the guys doing this was a professor of botany or yeah, something. It just got me thinking like, oh, maybe he what, just teaches what, botany, though. Maybe there's just a botany class. Yeah. And he is the sure. professor of that class. <laughs> that yeah. would make sense. Okay. Um, Still, 400 plants. That's a that's lot. That's a lot of plants. 
Could you memorize 400 plants? Oh, I don't know if I could memorize 400 absolutely plants. Absolutely not. I'm terrible you at know, memorizing things, except Pokemon names, famously. <laughs> yes, in case our listeners did not There's know. There's over 800 of those. So. <laughs> Anthony knows all of the Pokemon and their evolutions. Yep. All of them. And most of their typing. It's fine. <laughs> Do you know the numbers, too? Not, uh, well, depends on, for the first 151, I know a lot of their numbers, but not all of them. Okay. Like, I know my favorite, Scyther, is number 123, but that's also easy to remember because it's 123. One, two, three. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Nobody asked for this. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> my first story is Space News. This is from ScienceAlert.com, and it's an update on uh, Bennu and the situation oh, with hey. the... How's Bennu doing? (laughs) Uh, The headline is, NASA's probe with its precious Bennu sample is finally returning to Earth. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. So we're going to bring a little Bennu back to us. Yes. So a spacecraft is carrying... (laughs) Why can't I say this word? A spacecraft carrying around (laughs) 56.7 grams (laughs) of dust from the surface of an asteroid is on its way back to Earth. That shouldn't have been a difficult (laughs) sentence to read. I don't know. You got through it, though, and that's what counts. Uh, The spacecraft called OSIRIS-REx, which we have talked about on the Mm -hmm. podcast before, uh, launched its thrusters for seven minutes on Monday to leave the asteroid Bennu, NASA said in a statement. So it's like it has just left the asteroid and is en route now back to the Earth. Nice. Um. The probe collected about two ounces of carbon-rich space dust, and this is the largest sample collected since the manned Apollo missions to the moon, according to the BBC. Oh, wow. It's kind of cool. If all goes to plan, the spacecraft should circle the sun twice before it comes close to Earth. Um, I don't know why it needs to do that. Maybe there's like some physics involved there. It's a slingshot itself Just or something. For fun. I don't know. We... <laughs> <laughs> it's going on a roller coaster ride. <laughs> Once it is within... 6,000 miles of the Earth, a capsule carrying the samples will be released, and NASA expects that to land in the desert in Utah on September 24th, 2023. Oh. So that's how long this is going to take. Wow. Okay. I forgot <laughs> how far soon. away this was. Yeah, I know. I didn't, I didn't realize that either until I was like saw that, and I was like, oh, that's in like two years from now. Yeah. yeah. So wow. it's on its way, but it's going to be a while. This is kind of cool that they actually have like a specific like date and location, and location planned already yeah. they have all the physics planned out for that yeah especially That's in cool. lieu of the like rocket recent, the, yeah. the recent <laughs> yes. unpredictable rocket falling is, from the heavens this is actually we, i'm like how do they know in how do two they know? years it'll specifically land in, in this the, state's yeah, desert in this state's desert on this day in two years from now we know that where they weren't but sure this if this rocket, rocket would land somewhere in you don't know the americas gonna go <laughs> Like South Asia, you saw where it landed. It right? landed in the Indian Ocean, yeah, kind of as predicted, but but well guessed, not predicted. Nobody knew, <laughs> but nobody knew. I'm just like, how did they have all this? Like, it's like world class, like physicists and mathematicians and stuff. Yeah, and I just always assume that they just know these things. Right? Right. <laughs> it's just like when when NASA's like, we don't know. I I I panic inside. Right, like, they don't. Well, know? that's fair how when they're they able to know? predict something like this. <laughs> Like, you could do this. <laughs> yeah, like, 
Oh my god! This rock is like right there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's coming in a few days. We you can, don't know where it's we, go. we can see it <laughs> passing overhead. <laughs> oh man! Well, anyway. Anyway, yeah. So two years from now, we'll get some cool d- space dust. Nice. My next story is technology news. This is from Gizmodo. Using just his thoughts, paralyzed man texts at a record-breaking 16 words a minute. So. Whoa. That's not, like, obviously a very fast typing speed, but for this kind of technology, that is, like, twice the previous record, apparently. So, um... I'll get into the details of it. Uh, For the first time ever, neuroscientists have translated the cognitive signals associated with handwriting into text and in real time. The new technique is more than twice as fast as the previous method, allowing a paralyzed man to text at a rate of 90 characters per minute, which is about 16 words per minute. Uh, Researchers with the BrainGate collaboration have developed the system, which uses brain implants and a machine learning algorithm to decode brain signals associated with handwriting. So it's... Wow. Like the signals that your brain gives off when you're when you're writing letters. Yeah. And they used those to determine what he wanted to like to, si- to, to like say. write or say. So he was like wow. focusing on writing characters even though he physically could not because he was paralyzed from the neck I think it was the neck down. Um so but he was like focusing on like basically what his brain would do if he was handwriting. That is incredible. And they used this like machine learning algorithm to determine from that like what letters it was. Wow. It's this is so cool. Uh, so at the time of the experiment, the lone participant, a 65-year-old man, was 10 years removed from a spinal cord injury that left him paralyzed below the shoulders. Um, so two sensors, each measuring four by four millimeters with a hundred electrodes on them were placed in the outer layers of the brain's motor cortex, which is the area that controls movement on the opposite side of the body. Uh, These electrodes can record signals from about 100 neurons, and the resulting signals are processed by a computer to decode the brain activity associated with writing individual letters. So that's like the more technical way of saying what I was Mm -hmm. saying earlier, but... Um, during the experiment, the man attempted to move his paralyzed hand to write words. Again, like not actually moving it, but like thinking about what he would do. Yeah. Um, he visualized writing the letters one on top of another with a pen on a le- yellow legal pad while the decoder typed each letter as it was identified by the network. The system was able to distinguish individual letters with roughly 95% accuracy, which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like that's a really, really good result, especially for the first time doing something like this. Um, the rate of 16 words per minute is around three-quarters the speed of what's typically seen among people in this age group when typing on smartphones. So pretty comparable. Yeah. Um, the results are super promising, obviously, uh, but the system is not without its limitations. Uh, first, it's highly invasive, obviously, as it requires brain surgery and implants. Uh, it's also not generalizable across individuals at the time at the moment because the system has to learn the cognitive nuances of every user. Um, the approach is also very computationally intensive, requiring a specialized high-performance computer or cluster. And finally, the system requires a technician to set up the brain-computer interface and run the actual software, so it's not something that the end user could use on their own. Um, but they point on the article, like, all these challenges are something that could be overcome with sufficient investment. Like, mm-hmm. these are all solvable problems, and for a first attempt, like, completely reasonable yeah. limitations. But, yeah, so this is just kind of... 
I don't think they'd ever tried this approach before interpreting handwriting, like, like the, the handwriting writing. cognition yeah. into this. And that's why they were able to achieve this speed versus something like translating like thought, Just thought about thoughts. thoughts of words into yeah. like written text. So I just wow. thought that was fascinating. That is so cool. Yeah. And yeah, they they would love to be able to create some kind of device essentially that would be able to interface with the brain somehow. Yeah. Which again, we this is a problem that needs to be solved still, but like yeah, that they like could just carry around yeah. and use in in order to communicate, which would be really really cool. <laughs> Like I could see some like a really primitive version of, of that being like a, like a helmet you could put on or something mm-hmm. that then is what is like sort of inter- interfacing with your head and then that can transmit something something else I don't know but yeah I mean we get better and better at making these devices smaller over yeah. time I mean just look at things like VR like, yeah exactly we've got wireless helmets of those now and mm-hmm. like those are continuously getting better and lighter and more user friendly and something like this would be with the right investment would be very doable and like so beneficial to people yeah. who otherwise can't communicate. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. My next story is food news. This is also from sciencealert.com. The headline is scientists create Flat pack pasta that morphs into shapes like moving organisms. Wait. <laughs> I knew you were gonna. Huh? Have, I knew. I knew you were gonna be like, "What?" The headline. Not what I want to um, think of when I'm thinking of pasta. It is okay. They came up with pasta that basically shapes itself into the shape you want as it cooks. But it, when you when you put it into the water, it's flat. Okay, like a lasagna noodle. Like it's flat like that. Yeah, it's just like flat. Yeah, it's flat. It's like just a square. Okay. Or a rectangle. And then it turns into. And then it turns into like a spiral or like whatever Whoa. shape. Why? That's the in a nutshell. <laughs> I will explain. So scientists have created what is being called flat packed pasta that's more efficient than normal pasta to package and transport, mm. but then can unfurl into the shape once it's in the pot. Uh, so apparently, food packaging is a huge contributor to landfills. In the U.S., for instance, food packaging along with food waste makes up almost half of all solid consumer waste, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but scientists estimate that flat-packed noodles could reduce pasta packaging by up to 60% by eliminating all the airspace included in different shaped pastas like tubes and spirals when it's packaged. Oh, yeah. So the idea is like, yeah, you just wouldn't need as much packaging material for it because it wouldn't – because it would just be like – It'd be a lot more pasta you know, in the space. In a small – yeah. Yep. Okay. So just one small piece of the problem. I almost said piece of the pie, and I was like, what? That's not the, the right problem, thing. The problem pie. Mm, <laughs> it's one small piece, but I, that's like what they're trying crisis. to do. <laughs> they're trying to help with, with um, reducing uh, packaging yeah. uh, material use. So the research team creating this pasta was inspired by space and resource-saving flat-packed furniture. Um, building on past experiments where grooves stamped into flat pasta caused the noodles to spontaneously morph into 3D shapes when submerged in water, the researchers used digital and physical tests to work out how to control these unnerving transformations. (laughs) So basically they like... Unnerving. That that was the article, not me. (laughs) Not me. (laughs) Because 
they kept being like, oh, it's so weird. They look like organisms. It's like, they don't look like organisms. It's just pasta. It's just pasta turning but into they, a different so shape. They, yeah. So they, they actually like, it's pretty, it's pretty simple actually. So they do like stamp these like grooves into certain parts of it. And it causes like certain parts of the pasta to expand faster than the other. And then just like warps. Yeah. That's all. And that's all it is. So they just con- like design. It's designed, controlled warping. It's controlled warping. Exactly. So they just design it so that like they know what shape it's going to turn into mm-hmm. when it cooks. So they that's can like cool. stamp it in a certain way that like, yeah, we it's going to like spiral up. But then it's just this like, you know, flat rectangle in, in the package. So yeah, that's pretty a, cool. That's an interesting combination of like geometry and physics and like probably none of the people working on this thought this is what they would end up doing with their knowledge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, okay, I have knowledge of physics, geometry, and thermodynamics. <laughs> As well as new pasta, as well as a, a love for cooking. Yeah. <laughs> How, How can, can I, I combine mix these things? <laughs> That's awesome. My next story is science news. This is from Reuters. Singapore researchers control Venus flytraps using smartphones. There's a lot of what el- and why. There's okay. a lot of electrodes being used to control things in my stories. This yeah, week. I guess um, so. So this is uh, Luo Yifei, a researcher at Singapore's Nanyang Technolo- Technological University, showed in a demonstration how a signal from a smartphone app sent to tiny electrodes attached to a Venus flytrap could make its trap close as it does when catching a fly. So basically, you're just like a little. Bzzz, and it causes to close. Same. I, plants kind okay. of work on a similar principle to some parts of the human, like the human brain. It's all electrical signals. Same idea. So you can kind of hack them in a similar way. Obviously, just much simpler. I don't think I knew that there was a, there were electrical signals involved. Yep. But it makes sense. Yep. Obviously, a That's little cool. more primitive, but yeah. But same. Yeah. Same end result. Uh, this technology is non-invasive and doesn't damage the plants. So it's all external and it doesn't hurt them. Well, I mean, plants can't feel pain, but you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's also funny they mentioned that and then the next sentence immediately after that is, the scientists have also detached the trap portion of the Venus flytrap and attached it to a robotic arm. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so immediately after, like, this, is not, oh, this doesn't dice- damage a plant. Also, we also cut we off the trap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This doesn't damage the plate. Also, we dissected it next. Um, but like, they put oh, it on okay. a robotic arm, and I thought that was actually kind of interesting, so that when it's given a signal, it can grip something thin and light like a piece of wire. Um, so they can oh. like use it as like a very gentle clamp. Oh. Um, so they, huh. they said, in this way, the plant could be used as a, quote, soft robot um, to pick up fragile things that might be damaged by industrial grippers as well as being more environmentally friendly. So that's like, cool. in, like in very specific manufacturing imp- like thing. I don't know what exactly it would be where you Wait. need something that's like very delicately grabbing something. You can yeah. use this plant. Okay. That's a cool idea, but yeah. does the plant have to be like alive for this to work? Like, I don't you know. Just, it it might just not take be. the trap off and stimulate it to open and close with electrical signals. Like it's like kind a, of what it sounds like. It's like a part it's like a it's like a machine part now that just grew on a plant and it's just going to be good. I like, guess I don't know. Yeah, I'm just it does, it, I'm just like, does it like keep just for like a while? Really, yeah, like yeah. A, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Is like how long does it keep yeah, for? How long I'm does not it last? Really sure. 
Because um, <laughs> I feel like it would be like two days, and then it would just be, you know, wilted or something. Right. This this whole article was kind of a series of me going, but why? Yeah. <laughs> but why do you yeah. want to do that? Um, but I think it's an interesting. It's an interesting idea. If it problem, if, if it, and if this would work, like it's a yeah. cool, it's a cool idea. Yeah. Like with rather than having to design something that would probably be complicated. Yeah. Like using something in you nature. Should do something in nature, right? That is very is already I'm designed always, for us. I I'm nature has a lot of the answers to our real world like engineering mm-hmm. problems already. We just have to like find them. Yep. And I love that about yeah. nature. More more Venus flytrap. Just start putting them on different things. Just like I don't know. Use them to your like hands on your hands to like to, grab things to like with your grab fi- like stick. Thi- use, use your finger. Yeah, you could have st- one on the end of your finger and use it to grab like small objects. Yeah, exactly. Or exactly. or like have it on your coat and use it as a coat fastener that won't hold very well. <laughs> you, could, you could use it as a back scratcher mm-hmm. if you put it on the end of a stick and, you and then you stimulate it and, you and it opens and, and, it and closes and, <laughs> and scratches your your back yeah, that way. I think that's brilliant. But gently, you know. Or you could have them as a pair of earrings. <laughs> Where they you could just close on your ear and you can and gently, oh, yeah, gently, obviously, yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. I think I think that's How, oh my how, gosh, Venus flytrap earrings. The possibilities are endless. <laughs> um, yeah, the only other thing I had was the research team hopes that their technology can also somehow learn to communicate, like they can learn to communicate the other way, and like use it to detect signals from plants about abnormalities or potential diseases before full-blown symptoms appear. Somehow oh. like reading the signals from the plants, I yeah. guess, in into this app. Hmm. And then being able to diagnose them ahead of time. I don't know. It's cool. But yeah. Learning about Venus flytraps. Yeah. My next story is animal news. <laughs> This is from the BBC.com, and the headline is, California condors swoop on home and declare war. Oh, no. It's a little bit dramatized, the headline, Uh but I'll explain. A flock of endangered California condors has laid claim to a home in the U.S. state. At least 15 of the birds reportedly recently descended on the house in the city of Tehachapi, California. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. There are believed to be fewer than 500 such condors in the whole U.S., and only about 160 have been recorded living in California. So, like, these birds are really rare. And they found 15 of them on this house. And 15 of them randomly just decided to, like, congregate at this house, like, for no reason. Hmm. It's very strange. Suspicious. So the daughter of the property owner posted a bunch of photos on Twitter showing how the birds had trashed her mother's deck including knocked over plant pots, scratched paintwork, and vandalized screen doors. Oh, wow. And this is, like, a photo of it, of, like, the deck. I don't know, just one of the pictures that she posted. But it's basically, like, (laughs) these condors just, like, on this person's port. Like, this poor person's, like... They're so big, too. Yeah, they're, like, huge, huge birds. Um, This is a quote from one of the posts. My tiny little mom was staring down a bunch of birds half her size from less than 10 feet away trying to shoo them. They kept hanging out on her roof and railings, messing with stuff and pooping everywhere. It's like, oh, no. Um, But, yeah, apparently this has been, like, this whole saga because these birds just keep coming back to this lady's house. And she doesn't know why. Like, she didn't 
it's just like all of a sudden one day they just were like, oh, we're going to like flock here or something. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> this specific, this specific um, place. So apparently the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service actually responded to the tweets um, and explained that the birds were protected and her, the, the person's property was located in a historical condor habitat, which he probably knew. But they suggested shooing away the birds using methods that will not harm them, such as water hoses, yelling, clapping, <laughs> shouting, or using other preventative measures such as scarecrow sprinklers. And then I was like, what is a scarecrow sprinkler? <laughs> I did not look this up, but I just imagined in my mind that it's a scarecrow that has like water shooting out of it. And it goes like, but it's a scarecrow. Have you ever heard of that before? I haven't, and I hope that's exactly what it is. Okay. Well, that's what the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, recommended that this lady do. So um, as far as I know, that they're still congregating there. But I think she I think she did, like, spray them with a hose or something, and mm. then they left temporarily, but they're, like, yeah, around maybe. her house. <laughs> so. I don't really know what you do when there's that many of them, and they've decided this is where they live now. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's, like, they're endangered, and they're, like, a protected species. So right. you can't. You have to be careful. You, know, you can't like do anything that's like harm them or anything. But it's like, yeah, I feel bad. I was like, look at this. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that, I just feel like that'd be like, you know, if all of a sudden like ten bald eagles just decided to like hang out on your back porch, you know, and we're just like trashing things. Like, what I would you do? You know, patriotic, you'd just be like, though, <laughs> 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 it would just be. It's just this conflicting feelings of like, I want these birds to get out of here, but like, this is cool, but they're ruining my stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just funny. Hmm. All right. It's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today. And we read them to you on the fly. Benu. Ready, set, Go. go! All right, I found this on Gizmodo. Grand Theft Auto looks frighteningly photorealistic with this machine learning technique. I don't know why they went with frighteningly. It does definitely look photorealistic. (laughs) It's not scary. Okay. It just looks real. Um, So researchers at Intel Labs have applied machine learning techniques to rendered footage from a console that takes it from, well, they said beautiful to photorealistic, which... I guess it looked good before, and now it looks like a picture. Anyway, I'll show you the... <laughs> I feel like I'm going to have to this look This is also all very visual, which, again, is always good for a podcast. So, um, but uh, We save them for the breaking news sometimes. Yeah. Uh, video game consoles aren't quite to the point where video games look as realistic as the computer-generated visual effects used in Hollywood blockbusters, which, let's be honest, they're still not quite there in a lot of cases. But mm-hmm. um, They're going to get there very soon with GPUs, though. Oh, yes. Uh but uh, this new research may enable something similar to photorealism. Uh, the researchers trained a neural network on something called the Cityscapes dataset, which is a collection of images of a German city's urban center captured by a car's built-in camera. So they trained on this dataset um, and then used this technique to, like, in real time, apply realistic, like, city textures and things to okay. the textures of the world and also like the lighting effects and the shadows and everything. Oh. I have to show you this footage because okay. it is mind blowing. Um, 
So the technique is so powerful because in addition to processing the footage rendered by the game engine itself, the neural network also uses other rendered data the game engine has access to, like the depth of objects in a scene and information about how the lighting is being processed and rendered. So it's not just like a post-processing thing. It's taking into account all of like the geometry of the world and everything. Wow. Um, which is what allows them to apply this without it like stuttering or like seeing weird artifacts appear anywhere because it has like a constant knowledge of what's going on in the world. Okay. As opposed to like post-processing on a video or something where a lot of times with like neural networks, you'll see pop-ins and stuff where it's just only working off of the video data. And it all, it's only working out of that that snapshot instead mm-hmm. of actually having all the information. And then information. you're stringing snapshots together, whereas this is like a cohesive whole. That makes sense. It's yeah. very cool. Um, and the researchers think with the right hardware and further, further optimization, the gameplay footage could be enhanced um, by their convolutional network in real time. So I guess their example wasn't in real time. Um, like they did do some kind of processing on it, but they think that it could be done quickly enough to happen in real time and like mm-hmm. actually happen in the game engine. So I'm going to show you this because it's, again, something you kind of have to see to understand the difference. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see it. Okay. It oh, literally... Oh, my gosh. It looks like, like a dash cam. It looks like a real cam. video. Like it looks like a dash cam on a car, yeah. like in a real situation. Yeah. It looks like a... Yes, that's exactly what it looks like. Like, look at that again. Like... I my mouth is like totally open right now. Like my jaw is on the floor right now. That looks like a real video. It's so interesting too cuz parts of it don't necessarily look better. Like a lot of it actually looks a little blurrier if like if you look yeah. at it compared to like the original game's graphics. Yeah, but it but it looks so But it looks more real. Real. Though. It doesn't because you know because sometimes like one of certain, the things is like the the lighting on the cars and stuff like the reflections yeah. are much more realistic and that kind of thing. It's almost like okay with like the game version, I feel like all the colors are so enhanced. Yeah, and what the whereas, lighting is because mm-hmm. that's what you, they do in video games, right? Whereas this other one, it's almost like everything's kind of more like dull, but that's like real life. It just is what look, that looks it like. It looks so real. I <laughs> you know you have to see this footage, and I'm so sorry that you can't because this is an audio medium. That's incredible. But it's. It's really mind-bending, and Ugh. I really I, want to see this in, like... Yeah, you, I can't they wait until they have... If a real it. game, or, like, How a VR game... How that would that be? Like, like where you're in that's actual the real VR. world? Like, that's actual <laughs> yeah. VR. They've achieved actual virtual reality when it looks like that, yeah. right? It's... and I, I mean, that's... Somebody that's, in the comments was like, why don't you just take off the VR helmet? And it's like, yeah, but you're not actually going to be okay, doing but, any of this in real life. No, yeah. <laughs> Somebody in the comments, why don't you just take off the VR helmet? There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of crime in Grand Theft Auto that you wouldn't want to do in yeah, real life. So. Yeah, I've never actually it, played Grand Theft Auto, but... Yeah, it's... I mean, I, it's I just, just want to play a car a game racing that's this. in general. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just want to play a game where you can drive around and it looks like real life like that. Exactly. Like, And just do nothing except drive around in it. Mm-hmm. That would, like, already be fun because it just looks so real. Yeah. Wow. Okay, well, I have something from uh, CNN Travel that was posted today. Uh, The headline is, A monstrous-looking fish normally found thousands of feet deep in the ocean has washed up on a California beach. Is it a coelacanth? It is not a coelacanth. Is it an oarfish? It is not an oarfish. Is it a goblin shark? It is not a goblin shark. Is it a pelican eel? (laughs) (laughs) Is it a lancet fish? No, nope. 
Is it a, an ang- anglerfish? Yes. You got uh, it. You got it. You got it. You got it. <laughs> it's like, I just have to go through all my deep sea creatures. <laughs> I'm so happy that you just did that. Um, I love that. It was an anglerfish. And you thought they looked terrifying in the footage from under the ocean. This is what it looks like when it's washed up on the beach. Oh, yeah. They're, they're horrifying. Uh, they're all monsters like, down there. <laughs> this is from a nightmare. Like, oh, oh, yeah. How is that a real creature on this earth? I just don't. Look at that. Yeah, the little, the thing in front, is that like the protuberance that like yes. comes off of its head? And it, Look at it like this. Yeah. Now I'm like, here's what I'm seeing here for the, for the listeners. I almost said for the readers that they're listening. <laughs> it's jet black in color. Mm-hmm. It's stuck with its mouth open. It has these like jaggedy teeth that mm-hmm. look like they're from a horror movie. Little the, beady eyes. Little beady eyes. And it's like this blob with the jaggedy teeth, and then it has that light out in front of it. And I, for some reason, I thought that these things just had the light thing, but it has it looks this like, like a fake, hand. Yeah, it's like I think if it was in the water, that that would look almost like fake seaweed or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when it's, it's out it's like this, more elaborate than just like a single light. Yeah, it looks like it's like this creepy hand with like seven fingers and like these nails on it it's just so creepy it's very scary <laughs> it's like oh my god can you imagine walking down the beach and you see that on the beach like i mean <laughs> be like, i'd rather I mean, you do would that know than what it like was right swimming in the ocean and coming face to face with one <laughs> um maybe on, i guess at least if it's on the beach i would i know <laughs> just stay away from it do you think these would these things actually attack a person like if they i don't were know up if they'd be of, capable of i don't, I don't think, think their I don't mouths think are big enough would. yeah yeah. They don't they can only eat like small things. They just like look terrifying. Yeah, they really um, do. Yeah, so I guess this um this just washed up on the beach and this is like I don't whoever post somebody posted it on Facebook or something. I don't know. Whoever said that they're like, yeah, to see an to see an anglerfish intact is very rare. <laughs> like like this is not a common thing that oh, this yeah. would just like be washed up like this so yeah i mean the we don't the know circumstances that it would require like it probably had to die pretty shallow for its right like, in a in a relatively shallow place and then not like get eaten or, or um decompose before getting taken to the shore wait it's also calling it a football fish oh yeah that's another Is name that, for it oh okay mm-hmm. i didn't know that that's what they call it in animal crossing that's oh i did know that mm-hmm. i did know that i forgot okay it, um, well, this is some. Or these are some fun facts about this. Uh, the creature's teeth are sharp and pointy, like shards of glass, and their large mouth is capable of sucking up and swallowing prey the size of their own body. Oh, so maybe they would attack. <laughs> so maybe they I don't could know. attack. You. They wouldn't actually probably be able to not, actually eat you, but not, like not they might whole. try. They might try. <laughs> maybe take a hand. Uh, um. But yeah, I don't know if they, so. they might not actually have that much biting force. A lot of times, the creatures that like deep in the ocean just have a large mouth so they can get as much stuff in there as possible mm, because yeah. food is so scarce down there. I love deep sea stuff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday, and as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description.
You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash News, on Twitter at at News, and on Instagram at News. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.